Hello, hello, hello. It's Hillary and Clinton, and welcome to another episode of Black Atlantic. This week, we'll be talking about Policy 713 in New Brunswick that was undergoing review and some of our thoughts. Uh, an interesting story about African-coded quilts in Nova Scotia. And we're going to hear a little bit about Hillary's trip in Italy and some shocking revelations she learned that, that made her feel very uncomfortable. Is it a shocking revelation or am I just uneducated? We will find out in a minute. We are <laughs> an East Coast podcast bringing Black stories to the world. You can follow us on all of the social media accounts that exist. We probably have it if it's out there. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, rate, do all of the fun yep. things. And now my first time experiencing our new intro. out loud went oh <laughs> it's not bad it's not bad i like it i like it we're gonna have it have to have a new outro for for next week as well soon 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 absolutely how's it going i'm good i'm good the skies are blue i've been spending lots of time outdoors soaking in that vitamin d i'm great nope. how are you i'm good i'm good same sunny here 24 i went to my local farmer's market first thing this morning um nice. got some fresh veg to feel you know more centered in my space wrote an article about someone who i hope will be a guest in the future which is very exciting um you know the usual then i had, had a meeting with you and now i'm having a recording with you and it's a good day to be doing black clinic hey. <laughs> <laughs> who's the who's the possible future guest is this a secret it's not a secret. No, Carlin Purcell um, of KDPM Consulting. Um, mm -hmm. I don't really, I know her whole story because I'm writing this article, but a wonderful woman um, who used to do banking in the islands and uh, came to Canada for new job opportunities. Um, and then, you know, kept getting cho overlooked by the white man. And so she just, you know, decided to go independent, do her own thing. And now like does um, corporate teachings from an ancestral African cultural lens because to teach leadership from a white perspective is not to teach the full scope of leadership. She's also a success planner, which is like a great journaling tool, which I actually bought for a friend recently. Um, and it's just absolutely lovely in the sphere of like growth, personal development, psychological, like warfare and mental warfare in these white spaces and trying to you know create a culture around all these things she taught me about the african medicine wheel which i thought only the indigenous people had a medicine wheel i learned so much from my hour chat with her um she's absolutely wonderful and would like to be on the show oh yeah i think you told me about her okay. and uh time and time again i've found that you know it's an example of through bad things come good I i've heard so many stories of people of color not getting opportunities or hired uh, for jobs and so they had to become independent entrepreneurs uh, mm -hmm. and this is another example of that and it's it's yeah. something great from bad because we're both entrepreneurs and I think we both think entrepreneurship is a great thing but I, I, all these people who created these beautiful things they may not have had that opportunity to do that had they not been uh, victims of uh, that yeah. kind of oppression. I think entre entrepreneurial spirit comes from the necessity of forging a path for yourself. And I think like she talks about mm -hmm. it in the sense in the article, um, she talks about it in the framework of this is the path my ancestors gave me. They gave me the skills to have an entrepreneurial spirit. I was never meant to be like bogged down by the corporate world or held to these 
rules necessarily in a place in a space where these people don't even understand me how I'm showing up or where I come from so she sees it as so much of a like blessing power to her um being in her higher self showing up as her higher self she I don't think would at any point say like dang I wish I still worked for corporate banking um she seems to be just you know enjoying and living her best life but yeah a lot of that in entrepreneurial spirit comes from being shot down first and look at us all thriving. Look at us Amen. All. Amen. Well, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into the show. Uh, I'll talk about the first topic because I think the, the next two are going to be spearheaded mostly by you. Um, if I'm making any mistakes in the way I describe this, please interject. Don't feel afraid to interrupt. But um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't know, in the province of New Brunswick, uh, it's been all over the news and media for the past two weeks that a policy of theirs that relates to the Department of Education and Early Childhood Development is under review. Um, now, what policy is that? That is policy 713 and that has to do with sexual orientation and gender identity now this policy was only put in place uh, on august 17th 2020 and usually when policies are reviewed by the government those policies will have already been in place for about 10 to 15 years however it's been less than three years and here we are with them reviewing policy 713 um when they announced that they were going to review it, they were very vague and they didn't give any information as to what they were reviewing. Now, this created, for understandable reasons, outcry among populations all across New Brunswick, from parents as well as from students. Um, there were protests, demonstrations, school walkouts, rallies in support of this. Multiple news media organizations picked it up. And to add insult to injury, when Blaine Higgs was interviewed about it, um, you know, he really dropped the ball in terms of revealing, you know, a lot of his personal opinions on sexual orientation and gender identity and not actually sticking to what the policies uh, spirit was supposed to be about. Uh, he was captured going into topics uh, such as drag shows for children. Um, I can't remember the other things, but things that didn't have to do with the policy. Uh, and he, go ahead. I'm just going to say, it's like a drag story time. So not a drag show for kids, because the drag story times are like drag queens reading children's books to children. Whereas a drag it, show for kids would probably be a problem. That one I think might actually be a concern to some people, but this is definitely not necessarily a full on like performance. It's very much just like, yay. And it, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, thank you, Hillary. It doesn't relate, especially because dra people dressed in drag reading stories to children don't happen in public schools. Uh, and what this policy was about, um, was about a public school policy that typically happens in a public library where people have the choice whether or not they want to bring their children to that no one is forcing that upon them now if that is something that was happening in schools i think that would be a subject like that could that everyone has a right to feel um equal and uh, have a say in their children's education and and if there were parents who didn't want their children to be exposed to that that would be a separate conversation but that has nothing to do with this policy 
so this policy is policy 713 and again it has to do with sexual orientation and gender identity in school um, now the reason i'm bringing this up today and i'd like to share the screen for a moment Will you share the screen i already want to correct myself because i recently had a conversation with um the only black drag queen actually in New Brunswick who I want us to have on the show. Um, and I should correct myself in saying that there are drag performances that are safe for kids and great for kids because they are not necessarily sexualized. And that there is a whole stigma and uh, a problem with the idea that drag performances are sexualized, which is why there is all this pushback about the drag story time for kids. That being said, it is not a dance routine that is being shown to these kids at the library and it has nothing to do with the schools. I just want to correct myself. I don't want us to get canceled because I made a mistake. There is there is appropriate drag. It does exist. Sorry. As you yeah, were. Yeah. I mean, I was confused about that topic as well um, at first because I myself thought that um, this was taking place in schools. And so even myself questioned, I questioned, is this okay? Um, it turns out it's not taking place in schools and it turns out it is not like a drag show <laughs> that you would see at a bar in a nightclub at night. You know, um, we wouldn't have any problem with, kids don't typically like clowns, but if there was a clown coming into a school wearing makeup, did, did I say something wrong now? No, I'm just laughing. <laughs> no, but I mean, a drag. it's a costume, right? Yes, yes, yes. Right. It's someone wearing a costume. So if they're like sick kids hospital, sometimes, again, I don't know why they use clowns because kids are afraid of clowns. But if a clown went into a hospital to cheer up a kid and, and something, we wouldn't have a problem with that. So all in all, Blaine Higgs made a big deal of that, which got him an additional heat um, because this policy has nothing to do with that. This policy has to do um, with sexual orientation and gender identity in school. Um, now, they later came out and said that no, they're not revoking the policy. Um, this policy is not going to be cancelled or anything like that. They were looking at policies like 615, um, where all students will be able to participate in curricular, co-curricular, and extracurricular activities that are safe, welcoming, consistent with their gender identity. Uh, I won't get into this, but Blaine Higgs was saying, like, you know, if a, if a 17-year-old male who identifies as a female, should he should they be allowed to participate in school sports on the female team? And, and is that unfair or is there a disadvantage and stuff like that? Now, there's lots of data to say that uh, women can perform just as good as men in, in, in sports. Uh, and I believe that um, I also, I won't get into that. I was, I was going to say genetically men do tend to be naturally stronger, but that doesn't mean that a woman can't perform uh, as well as a male in sports. Uh, and the other thing that they are reviewing is policy 6.3.2, which Hillary, if you'll interject again for a second before I, I want to bring up why I brought this up today, I'm just sure. explaining this one because you explained it so much better than me. Sure. So in reading it, it basically says anyone transgender or not or any transgender or non-binary students under the age of 16 will require parental consent in order for their preferred first name to be officially used for record keeping purposes. Before contacting a parent, the principal must have the informed consent from the student to discuss their preferred name with the parent. Um, and I'll be honest, who explained it the best is actually CBC because they love to understand their audience and what they understand um the way that cbc new brunswick shared it is essentially that 
Premier Blaine Higgs confirmed his main issue with the policy is that it says if a child under 16 wants an informal name change or pronoun change, teachers are required to get the consent of the child before telling their parents. Parents still have to sign off on any formal changes like a report card change. So if it's an informal change, a kid can say to a teacher, I prefer to be called Samantha versus Sam, or I prefer to go by they, them pronouns. And that should be fine informally. If the teacher wants to escalate that to a parent for an informal change, then they actually have to ask the child if that is okay. And all of this, being a person who identifies as queer and has a ton of queer people in their lives, is to keep the child safe in case there are people at home who are going to abuse them or are not okay with them identifying as they do and is trying to keep them safe. But a parent would still need to sign off on anything formal like a report card or any type of school record. So while they can ask the child um, permission, they would still have to go to a parent for anything official, anything informal. Um, they actually have to ask the kid the consent to approach the parent. And so Blaine Higgs, and Blaine Higgs wanted to change it so that uh, th they could always tell the parent at any time. Sorry, yes. I, I don't want to say what he wanted to change it to, but they're reviewing this because he seems to disagree. And he thinks that... Uh, he confirmed uh, that's his issue. The teachers and the school should be able to talk to the parents about anything. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so for obvious reasons, for religious reasons, or just for tolerance reasons or whatever reasons that, yeah. that could be put children in danger um when i heard about this i was saying yeah like if it's if it can be confirmed that um the child would be in danger if the parents were contacted then you have to protect the children and the parents shouldn't be contacted but i think resources and money should be spent towards really investigating that further which is not mentioned in this policy i think sometimes children are afraid to come out to their parents for fear of how their parents will respond to their child but when the child does come out to their parents um the child is met with nothing but love and affection so i just if anything was going to be changed in this i think there should be additional money spent in terms of counseling and investigating to see why the child is afraid. And because if the school could help the child come out in a positive way, uh, it may actually strengthen the bond at home between parents and children. Um, and I am well aware that in other cases, it would actually tear families apart and possibly have kids kicked out of their homes and stuff like that. Well, and that's the thing too, when you say something like that, like I don't, I can't imagine a safe way to have a guidance counselor investigate in that way. And I also know that at least I perceive it, that like a lot of people in the queer community, like it's so mm -hmm. their coming out stories are so personal to them. It, it's mm -hmm. riddled with so much trauma and guilt and shame and feelings and so many different things for some people that I would worry that one, someone just might not want the outside support or influence. And so you're investing money in a resource that like, how are you, you're not going to force the kid to come out as gay to the guidance counselor to use the resource. So they might be an, a null and void investment. And then furthermore, hmm. it might actually propagate. Like I would worry thinking about my own home situation. I would worry that parents would lie to the people in charge and say, Oh no, I absolutely love that Sam now wants to be Samantha, that Hillary now wants they, them pronouns, et cetera. And then at the home is like literally beating the shit out of them. Um, like the, I, my mother literally does not believe in bisexuality. I have never come out to my mom. Um, my okay. family does not support 
<laughs> like I even, I don't know that all of my family supports queerness. So I would worry though, knowing my family that they would lie to the people. Like you'd have to be so careful about that investment and have it not be wasted. Granted, I know where your point okay. is going and I support where you're headed in this conversation. <laughs> that's fair. No, that's fair. I, I don't profess to know what's best for, for any of this. Um, where I'm going in the conversation, now that we've explained it to anyone who doesn't know, is that policies like this are important. They need to be protected and they need to be kept in place. Um, however, during my research of this, I started wondering like what other policies are in place to protect protect children in new brunswick uh, and i found three other ones so there is this one this is policy 701 policy for the protection of pupils um, to protect students against physical sexual emotional abuse uh, and also you know gives examples of abuse discriminate discriminatory behavior based on race color religion um, other reasons uh, as well as sexual orientation and sex so there is already a policy in place to protect children based on sexual orientation to prevent them from abuse and i know this doesn't highlight the relationship with the parents um, but I'm, I'm getting to that um, and then i kept looking and there is a policy 703 that is about having a positive learning and working environment and the same thing um, the purpose of this policy is to uh, provide and foster a positive learning environment for children of multiple backgrounds in which they may be persecuted, but again, race, color, religion, gender identity, sexual orientation. So that's a second policy for the protection of a, a wide variety of, of, of issues. Um, there's a third one that has to do with bullying. Uh, that's, I believe, policy inclusive. There is one for bullying as well, which I don't have up, but there's inclusive education. Uh, and inclusion has to do with all children feeling included and equal and able to uh, experience all of the same things in school on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and inclusion also cites things like race, gender identity, sexual orientation. So there was already three policies in place um, designed to help, among other students, children based on their sexual identity and sexual orientation. Um, and then there's policy 713, which is important because it expands on the gender identity and sexual orientation of kids in school. But I got to wondering, you know, is there or has there ever been a policy in place written to protect uh, visible minorities and children of color. So I reached out to our, our friend and colleague, Matthew Martin, president of Black Lives Matter New Brunswick um, over in St. John, who does a lot of amazing work in the province. And I asked him um, if he was aware of any policy in New Brunswick dedicated to ensuring children of color and visible minorities are specifically protected from hate, racism, or anything of the sort. Uh, and he came back with a very matter-of-fact no, nothing. Um, he said there was one being drafted for schools, but there's there's nothing. Uh, and that he was working on a policy um, for the city of Fredericton, but, but nothing came of it. Uh, and again, he said most times in school settings, they'll just refer to policy 701 about the safe school policy, but they're not specific to anything. Uh, and they're very general. Um, 
And that really upset me and that really bothered me because throughout our, our years of podcasting and through just talking to parents of children, whether they be Korean, uh, East Indian, Filipino, and of course, Black, um, all of these parents, or Middle Eastern, all of these parents have stories of their children being harassed, attacked, bullied, made to feel uncomfortable, um, subject of hatred, slurs, uh, and, and again, literally violently attacked in schools in New Brunswick, and nothing is ever done about it, ever. Um, principals and teachers don't have policies in place that set guidelines to say what they can do about it. We know teachers are very restricted nowadays. I, I, I know kids in school, they can swear, they can act. It's not like back in the day where kids, where teachers had the authority to, to punish, and I don't mean physically, but punish students. And there's nothing in place for racialized children who have ex been experiencing racism since you were a child in New Brunswick, Hillary, and they, they continue to, even in 2022, 2023. I, I know personally of kids who were chased down the street in Petacodiac with a knife saying, you're going to die, N-word. Um, called the N-word in group chats and, and, and stuff and, and said that he should, they should be killed. I know of children who have had their hair set on fire in the 2020s, and there is no policy to protect these children. And so the reason I'm bringing this up today is where is it? Uh, and for all the people out there protesting, protest, make sure policy 713 is protected, but like keep that same energy for, for racialized children. Um, I know there are people working on these policies. Support those people. Reach out to Black Lives Matter New Brunswick. Take to the streets like you did in 2020. Um, make sure that all children are protected if you want all children to be protected we need to protect all children and that's why i wanted to bring this up today and that's my breakdown of it and please what are your thoughts as well well you know that i completely agree um i believe that policy policy 713 should not be revised i i don't know what they would change i think it should stay the way that it is um i don't think that it should be removed in any way shape or form i fully believe that it is keeping kids safe i do believe that more needs to be done to keep all kids safe all of the colors orientations of the wind um i think that how do i how do i word this not I this isn't playing devil's advocate, but I think that some of the issues that are still at hand as to why there isn't something like this for for BIPOC kids, let's say, is that I they're in my favorite person, Manju Varma's <laughs> report for systemic racism. One of the recommendations was an increase in representation in black staff. Um, and there that there, that doesn't exist. I remember being in high school and knowing what staff was was gay i knew which teachers of mine actually were queer and that's a, a a representation that i did not have in terms of my blackness in terms of black queerness in terms of black acadianness and it i am in no way shape or form i want to make this so 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 clear saying that any of this is a, a negative but 
there are people in power who can support these kids because they were once these kids. It feels to mm -hmm. me like there are not enough people in leadership roles that are black that can advocate for a black policy other than the Black Lives Matter New Brunswick's and the Prudes and these organizations that are grassroots, local and community. Because I still don't know that there are really that many black staff. I know that um, Akeem, who used to, who was with um, three th formerly Three Kings Moving, now Queens and Kings Moving, was a black teacher at Queen Elizabeth school but was one of the only ones ever and that was recently I know speaking to my former high school teachers that to get materials approved that speak to racism I'll say because that was our discussion it takes years it took two years to be able to talk about George Floyd in a way that had been like a peer-reviewed journal because you can't talk about what's on Twitter while the kids are seeing what's on Twitter so how can you have a movement and advocate for policies keeping black kids safe when you can't talk about the things that harm the black kids in the first place because of the school district you and I are building the curriculum that will talk about black histories in a safe way and in, yep. in a good way. And maybe that will be the next thing to bring on the policy. And I don't know that there's anything about queer histories, but it seems to me like there's enough teachers, people in power, educators that can speak to their own experience that that probably fosters a good sense of community and at least some safety for these kids that does not, I think, exist for Black kids. Um, we were talking privately before this episode and when I referenced some of the social supports listed in policy 713, it does literally ask for um, people to be sort of like safe spaces for these queer students and having a gender alliance so that kids know who they can go to about these things. I know from speaking with Matthew Martin that through the funding with the John Howard Society, they have black liaisons in some schools. Yeah. I know from speaking yeah. with my high school teacher that they are only supporting kids that are labeled as like black troubled youth, not just black youth, not just people who are going through something. And I am, I, I might be completely wrong. I know that they're doing more in terms of like resumes, job building, things like that. But you can't just be a black kid who heard the N word and at Harrison Trimble High School find another person from my understanding that can relate to that experience and support you or else why are they calling me two provinces away? So if exactly. we still have this problem, how are we supposed to get to a place where policy can be built? And again, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be all of the supports for the queer students there should be all the supports for all of the students for all of their differences so that there is just a collective sense of safety overall and again as i said earlier when i was talking with the drag story time speaking to um their drag name is normani norman speaking to him and i want him to be on the show he's the only person i know with a platform who's a black gay in the whole province of New Brunswick. So what about the black gay kids? Who do they get to talk to? So there's just so many layers to this in terms of who the, like who these policies protect and what policies need to be implemented for kids who aren't being protected. And I think a lot of it boils down to, and again, referencing the systemic racism report, the people in charge literally said they did not understand systemic racism. How are they going to be a, build a policy that protects kids from being chased down the street and being called the N-word if the people who make the policy don't think systemic racism is a thing that exists? If you'll remember, part of that story also involved a teacher saying you didn't have to like Black people, but you had to be nice to them. We have teachers who say these outlandish things. Yep. When yep. are we building policies? 
Like you wouldn't, you would not, I don't think you would have a, a white teacher say like the F slur or say you don't have to like the LGBTQ2SIA plus community, but you have to be nice to them. Like what? It, it's, it's abhorrent in both circles of this Venn diagram. There's yeah, a policy for one half of the Venn diagram. Yeah. Wow. That's a good point. And those are amazing insights. So I'm I didn't really think I was going to get on the that. soapbox when we were texting earlier, but I am on the soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, you didn't bring up those points earlier. And those were great and insightful and all factual. So, I mean, all I'm saying is that, you know, after the protests and the riots, you know, the work had to be done. And a lot of work has been done, but there is no policy in place to protect visible minorities. And I'm not just talking about black kids. I'm talking about all visible minorities. Uh, we need to get on that. And we need to just keep that same energy that we're seeing in the media right now to make sure all kids are protected because there's just no protections for them. Um, um, I want to add um, too, though, that I, when I was having that conversation with Norman, a similar thought, a similar thing came to mind in the sense that like when George Floyd was horrendously murdered and we all came together for that, it happened because of the media. And if you look at America right now and you look at the media, they're trying to ban drag in Tennessee and in Florida and they're vilifying yeah. queers and <clears throat> excuse me, they're okay. killing people for being gay. And so then you have Canada as a response questioning these policies and doing sort of as much harm as Canada can because we're, we're we're not as aggressive but to me it's it's always a response to media it's like you know what I hear someone say something and I finally agree with that so I'm going to get on my soapbox and now I'm going to challenge this policy so then you get all of these people who come together and so it's hard because what I was sort of asking Norman about, and I, uh, Carlin as well in my interview, all of the black people, I've been asking them, how do you re like have a resurgence of a movement without there being an atrocity in the media to cause the movement to come back? How do you mm. make people care about black people again? Because people mm. care about the gays right now because people are killing the gays. Why do we have to die for someone to give a fuck? That is literally quality. what I said to Norman. And I don't want that. So I want everyone who's hearing your point to get on the soapbox about this movement without there needing to be an atrocity. You don't have to be, no one has to die for us to build this policy for visible minority children. Just also like asterisk, think of them too. Think of all the kids. I, I, that's all. <laughs> Wow. No, another good point. Like, yeah, we don't, we shouldn't have to have someone murdered for this to become an issue. Uh, I know back during the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, there, there also emerged a sub hashtag of Black Trans Lives Matter. And, and that was okay. It was great. Bring it into the conversation. So now I'm just saying, while we're focusing on this, let's, let's bring the other aspect into the conversation, the fact that there's no policy that it exists to protect visible minorities. And I also think you're right. I also think uh, the way the government brought this up, although they don't need to do a review of the policy, but it was very irresponsible because right now people are afraid. There's all this stuff in the media, but all these laws being redacted in the States, going back to like literal Jim, Jim Crow era type laws and also used to oppress uh, all people. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Well, let us know what you think. Oh, I was going to say I have one more thought and I was sort of afraid to say it because it's a bit controversial. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we are no supposed idea. to be a non-censored podcast. You have no idea I'm about to say this. But you know, I think that your point is sort of the point 
that um, Dave Chappelle was trying to make in his special, but because it came across as transphobic, it was hmm. so hor horrifically shot down. And at the time, and I still do not agree with the way that Dave Chappelle positioned all of it. But at the end of the day, the main joke that he made that I found funny was, do black people have to get oiled up and in booty shorts for people to care? And I'm not saying that that is great, but there is a difference between people accepting and caring about the queer community because some of them are still white and not the same vibe for the black people. And I hate that that's a fact, but it is. And that's hey. all I have to say about that. Hey, that is all good. I mean, we are an open show where we're uncensored yeah. and we state our mind. And, and I will I add mean, I don't think he hates trans people. I, I So... I, I won't get into it either. I don't think no. Dave Chappelle hates trans people. I think he felt neglected by the by the LGBTQ community, which I'm now seeing parallels <laughs> between what <laughs> what I'm saying in the show. Yes, but I will I will say in like a, a question that I have for Norman that I want to extrapolate on in our podcast and in the um, actual uh, like write up that I'm going to do about him is the fact that a lot of people love the queer Acadian community, which is white and have celebrated them on CBC with like a drag ball Acadienne and all of these things, there isn't as much love for him as the sole black drag performer of New Brunswick. And we could blame it on statistics. You're only highlighting one person, okay. But really, I do think that sometimes race comes into play with the acceptance and non of, of queerness. Sometimes I think more people are readily, more readily willing to accept white queer people because they still understand the color of their skin but mm -hmm. they don't understand maybe black queer people because it's just too far removed we know that the hip-hop has had a lot of hatred and issues with black gay people and so i think that all of those things do come into play when you extrapolate on this con conversation at a macro lens but i do just think that like just to throw it out there I would like to assume in his heart of hearts and good intentions, all Dave Chappelle wanted to say was, hey, can we have some of the pie? It's a conversation we've been having for years on other podcasts. Can Acadians share the pie? Can queer people share the pie? Can any white person in power share the pie with the black people who want some of the pie or any visible minority? That's the main, I think, argument. It's just then, then he said some jokes that were harmful, I think, to the queer community. I will stand by that as well as a member of. But the pie can we have it <laughs> are we gonna get canceled <laughs> this was the whole episode this was it <laughs> that's facts that's what like what you're saying <laughs> no like I, I agree with what you're saying like we didn't discuss this before the episode and, yeah. and you're really making me think and like we always say that's why we love doing this because we make each other think and we talk to guests who make us think and teach us things uh and we want to know what you think we want to know what you think in the comments so you know when you see our episode when you see our teasers if you see any posts about this let us know your opinions let's have a discussion about it in the comment the chats like let us know what your opinion on policy 713 is let us know if you think that you know all visible minority children need to be protected especially with people coming from all over the country and immigrating from all over the world why aren't these policies in place let us know what you think about dave chappelle has hillary given you any food for thought is your interpretation of what dave chappelle did any different um let us know you know i think i think that's i think that's the show i was gonna say i feel bad that we teased some of the other things and we didn't bring them up i can i can quick we can talk I can... about them next week 
I was, I, it's your call. I let's mean, the get, Italy thing will in. stay, will stay in my mind. Let's get into it. Let's get some extra Patreon style goodies for uh, for uh, the people. This this could be if we had a Patreon, which we might create. This this could be extra content, but. Uh, yes. Let's do it. Let's share, let's let's talk about this. is actually a really interesting story. I, I know you have to go though, so that's why I was trying to. No, wrap it yeah, up. But, uh... I'll, I've got I've got a quick few moments, but yeah, stitching All together right. history of quilting in African Nova Scotia communities. Sixty quilts created and inspired. I'll by also members. let's let's just let's just say who it's by. Uh, oh, our, our good friend ours. Matthew Matthew Byard, yeah. good friend yeah. who who sidebar nation very quickly. Um, my baby brother coached his son's soccer last week, and I just got this random photo of my baby brother. With Matthew's kid and I started oh, I've seen a photo of my brother in a minute and I was like oh my god anyway I'm just proud of my brother <laughs> and I was excited <laughs> I thought you were going to say when we started Black Atlantic he was one of the first reporters to reach out to us and and, and yes. give us some and, and spread was spread word and I there. met him in person finally last month when I was in Halifax so very lovely oh neat okay yeah awesome awesome Okay. 60 quilts created and inspired by members of Nova Scotia's Black communities are currently on a national tour and on exhibit at the Confederation Center of the Arts in Charlottetown, PEI. The Secret Codes African Nova Scotian Quilts is a collaboration between the Black Artists Network of Nova Scotia and the Vail Quilters Association, a group comprised of mostly Black women from the Vail Road area of New Glasgow and Nova Scotia's only incorporated guild of Black quilters. Traveling in all of these communities, rescuing quilts that had been sentenced to a basement or thrown away, but also inspiring a new crop of quilt makers to make new work has been very inspiring to me, but not only but to, to be able to translate that story to not only Nova Scotia, but to the rest of Canada, said David Woods, Secret Codes curator and BANNS co-founder at the Center's Spring Opening Night Reception for its art gallery on March 26. Secret Codes is one of several exhi exhibitions on display at the gallery. The quilts date back to the 1920s that Woods gathered from Black communities across Nova Scotia. Features original picture quilts from the Vail Quilters Association based on Woods's drawings of black women and black community scenes as well as quilts inspired by the women's own interpretation of underground railroad secret code patterns which were said to help said to be used to help black people escape slavery in the 18th and 19th centuries how cool that's really interesting very very interesting i mean yeah it's just good to to share like this is art and history and you yeah. know acknowledgement of, of the people that came before those Nova Scotians and how they had to communicate and uh yeah, yeah. it's a beautiful gallery and uh it's worth sharing if you're in the Nova Scotia uh region is it in Halifax so it started in they said it was on at the confederation but the opening night was in Charlottetown I'm reading I'm scrolling I'm reading I'm scrolling I think it might be in Charlottetown right now but it's in partnership with Nova Scotia that's some unique and beautiful artwork. So it's it's like a cross province. And it was actually funded by the Textile Museum here in Toronto as well. So I think it might be making its way. It's making its way across the whole country. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nova um, Scotia and P. I share a lot of history. In fact, when I was growing up in Nova Scotia, the names Pryor and Byers and Mills were people that had come from here, but we never really knew much about their actual life here. But things like this will help. So it's a whole education piece on the people of those provinces. That's really nice. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the third topic or do you want to save that for another week? I'll save we that for time. another week because now I'm out of time. No. 
All right. No, because well, it'll give me more time to edge. I'll uh, the teaser. The teaser is Hillary didn't know that there were black people in Italy, just like how in 2016, no, at the age of 16, she didn't know there were white Africans. And I continue to grow and learn. Um, and I'm proud of myself, but I learned a lot, and I have thoughts, and I will educate uh, myself on the things I was saying before about it, so that I come here with receipts. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's the journey you're on. I'm going to switch the view. Ooh, ah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in again. Um, if you haven't already, if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave a comment, please like our video. It really helps the algorithm. Uh, make sure you also subscribe to us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. TikTok is a lot of amazing content. Um, so check that out uh, on our audio streaming platforms, obviously like Spotify and, and Apple, iTunes and everything like that if you're listening on there just please take the time to click the follow button so you'll be notified of new notifications as well as uh rate us give us that five star rating and last but not least the best way to stay in touch with everything black atlantic is to just go to blackatlantic.ca and subscribe to our mailing list where you'll be you know up to date with everything that's going on uh and that's another one it's going on another one let's play the intro let's play the outro as the intro all right we will see you next week. Bye.